Benny is always great to talk with and listen to. He's funny in his jokes and the way he smiles away tragedy, his own tragedies, his own struggles and his own imperfections. He is reflective, kind, generous, and he makes you feel comfortable. You'd expect a photographer to always be eyeing up your visual faults, shifting around so the light is a bit better or asking you to move a bit to the left. He would probably do that professionally, I imagine, but offset, out of the studio, or otherwise without camera in hand, he is simply a fun person to while away the evening with. As you can imagine, it's not always easy to pin Benny down for a meet-up. His life is hectic. He lives hours that were never meant for work, and he's often away, at a moment's notice, travelling to the next project. At least that's how he's been for the last few years. Things are, however, changing, and his work has taken on a new twist. It's a fascinating twist, and one I'm really interested in following. Benny is genuinely concerned about the world in which he lives. He's immortalized many moments in his career, but he can't stop the climate from heating up in a freeze frame. Benny talks climate and fairness and sustainability in photography, and it is refreshing to hear. So I'm joined today by Benny. Benny is um, not just a photographer. He is a photographer with a mission, um, with a passion, um, and even more importantly for me, he's a friend. Um, Benny, thank you very much for making the time uh, to come and speak with me. Yeah, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, Benny, I mean, you, you're, okay, not just a friend, we're related through marriage, of course. Um, yeah. So it's like family. Um, but we, 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 we haven't really met too often, even though we are, how shall I say, spiritually very well suited. Um, there you go. See, your, all of your clients are contacting you in the background. Yeah, um, no, no, and, that, and you're actually not joking because it has been an agency which is uh, trying to request <laughs> me. <laughs> so this is really like a, the, the moment and the, the living I am right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. Go, but you feel free if you want to answer that. And um, I'll pretend no, that I'll edit it out, but I won't. I'll leave it in there. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, we are kind of uh, spiritually connected because in the last, what, six years, I think we've met. I don't know, four times. Um, but this is also because you're so well traveled. So, yeah, do you want to give a, give a bit of a background as to what you've been up to for the last, I don't know, 30 years? Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, my, my whole life is like pretty different right now. Like, I'm pretty much um, adapting to my life in Berlin right now. And I'm, yeah, focusing on my career here in Berlin because actually, as you know, um, I've been living the last eight seasons, um, which means um, our German winter in Cape Town. So I actually was kind of like mostly based in Cape Town and my life was pretty different before the pandemic started. 
Um, and therefore I was mostly out of the country and I was traveling so much. And this is probably also one of the biggest reasons why even if we are related, we didn't really meet so often, which I'm very sorry for. <laughs> <laughs> you actually mean it too. That's why it makes it so sweet. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, yeah. Tell me about your early career because you didn't start out as a photographer, as you sort of admitted the other day. And also, I have to say, the absolute benefit of coming over to eat at your place was that I could completely vouch. Uh, for the, the starting place of your career. But yeah, do you want to fill us in a bit on what you, you began with as your initial start into for your Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Um, yeah, photography has always been some sort of like one of my biggest things in life as I started to learn um, the way how to take a picture and to photograph very early. Actually, it was my mom who kind of like taught me on like a very first analog camera when I was around seven or eight. I don't even remember properly. I think I've been already in the first grade of school. And she was at some point, because I was just curious, um, handing over her analog camera. But uh, you got to understand this was a very different time. This was not a, like a time where you can pick up a camera and you have a screen on it and then you just see your results or whatever you're doing. You actually had to wait for the development. So I started, I started like learning it from scratch. And uh, my mom was like a very tough teacher. She was teaching me very early about exposure, about light, where the light is coming from, what's my actual um, angle, like how I use the camera and everything like this. And for me, it was as a child, a very like certain adventure because it was not how, how it is nowadays that you, I mean, nowadays when I'm shooting, I'm seeing literally the image I'm creating on my assistant's screen, right? So I have the camera attached to another screen and whatever I'm shooting a campaign or a lookbook or whatever, I'm, I'm seeing the result right away. And as a child, it was more, and that was so fascinating for me that I created something which I mostly saw around a week later. Um, that's where, where the whole journey began. But mm. I was moving away from home very early and uh, I was, I was leaving home when I was 17 and I wanted to be out there, to travel the world, to get to know new people, to do my own thing. And to be honest with you, photography would have never been something which I could use as my job or to live from it right away. So my plan was leading me, yeah, in a very different different thing. I, I started to cook. <laughs> I, I used to be a chef. Um, so the, the story behind it is pretty easy to, to tell. Um, I was leaving home when I was 17 and um, I was still busy with school, but I wanted to go to the next bigger city because after Berlin, I grew up in a very tiny village in Bavaria. And uh, I thought, okay, what can I do? What I'm good at, what I'm interested in, what is some sort of a passion to me? And Besides photography, I was always very interested in cooking. I was, um, I was someone who loved to prepare his own meal. And even more, I loved to cook for other people as, as we also did. And um, so that led me to the way that I was literally going to the next bigger city, which was in this case, Rosenheim. And I just did some research. I mean, this is also the time before researching everything on the internet, right? So I was just literally 
walking to the restaurants I knew already and restaurants I saw down the street. I was walking up to a guy who had a Spanish restaurant and uh, asked him if, if he would be willing to give me a job. That's how you could say I got independent and got into my, my first step of, of being a grown up man or like growing up. Now that's just, I mean, nowadays, I think the, the entire process would be a little bit different. But, but before, just to take a couple of steps back, because what you said there about photography and, and your mum like being such a, a hard task master or mistress in this case, um, was your mum a professional photographer or was this like a serious hobby? Because I find lots of Germans love photography. Yeah, I think to my mom, as a, first of all, my mom is a nurse, uh, as, my, uh, as my father, and this is also how they got to know each other back in the days in Berlin. And you have to understand that the time where she got interested in photography was actually a time where history really took place, you could say. This is something what we also get the feeling right now in the, in the time we're living right now. But you have to understand my mom was growing up or become an adult in a time where Berlin was divided. So, right, we are talking about the late 70s, we are talking of the beginning of the 80s, Berlin had been divided in West and East. And um, my mom was finishing her nursing school and somehow she made a decision. She never really taught me how and why, but she just had the first thought of her first salary to buy a camera. And I find that very inspirational because this is something I can really yeah, understand that you have some money left and you're investing it in film or a camera or a better lens or whatever. And that was exactly what she was doing. She was in the beginning of the 80s um, investing in her first Minolta with like a set of different lenses. And the reason for that was because it was so interesting to her what's happening in Berlin and how the city is divided and kind of like get into documentary photography. So I'm not talking about like family portraits or I'm not talking about herself with meeting up with friends or something, what we probably also know to nowadays in like using just our iPhone to just capture the moment or something. For her, it was more, I think, the knowledge about living in a very certain time. And uh, there's like a lot of things happening in Berlin and she kind of like, tried to capture it she wanted mm. to have some 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 images of this time where berlin was still a very different place okay so she must have some really cool photo albums of the 80s then yeah and uh, i mean i'm i'm not sure if i even should talk about it it's probably some sort of like a family secret mm. man okay <laughs> my mom is literally one of the only people and that's crazy to me that's very very um how do you say that's that's very uh, impressive to me that she is one of the only people in Berlin who has a complete documentary about the wall, how it looked like before it came down. So wow. what, what my mom did, she was actually capturing meter by meter every different artwork, which was on the western side of the wall. Because the East, as you know, was very highly protected by the police and the Eastern government. And you couldn't even like walk close to the wall. But this was very different to the Western part. The Western part was very early already like a very huge surface for artwork. And what she did, she was literally from the North to the South, 
walking across the wall and just capturing all the different artwork. So I remember as a child, which I didn't understand at that time, but even now as I'm, or even more than I'm now an adult and I have this memory of it, I remember that people were coming as guests to our flat and when the first time they saw our hallway, they saw all these pictures of the wall and what you did was when you entered the flat where I grew up, you could see meter by meter the Berlin Wall from the western side um, taken and framed and uh, like really nicely done. So whenever you would enter the flat, it was a 10 meter hall, you could literally have some sort of like a history backwards, you know, you could like, you could see what was happening and what, what was in this time. Mm. And uh, did she, did, was she into color or was it at the time more black and white photos? No, I think uh, it was actually the thing that she, as she was doing still nursing school, um, she didn't really have the time to get properly into development. That was something I actually got to know even later. I just learned from her how to capture a picture and how to make an effort to make the picture really nice. But the whole development process came way later when I actually started studying. She was more of a person who actually captured the moment, some sort of like a documentary style. And she gave it to Fotokoti, which is one of the oldest development places in Berlin. And it's still there. And the guy is still the same guy. And it's pretty <laughs> amazing that this is already going on for what, like 25 to 30 years. <laughs> Mad. Yeah. Okay. So, um, all right. And so she had this obviously natural passion, which she passed on to you clearly, but then because you wanted to become independent, you became a, a chef. Um, after you'd moved down to, okay. So a couple of years after you'd moved, um, down to Munich, no, not Munich, sorry, Bavaria. Um, but Rosenheim is quite close to Munich. It's about what, 25 kilometers from Munich, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Now it's even a bit more, but it's like half an hour drive with the train. Yeah. Okay. The, yeah. The whole story behind it is, is is pretty easy to tell. It's I was a young man who said, I'm gonna go my own way. I wanna leave my parents' house and I wanna do my, my own thing. And at that time it was absolutely clear that the only thing what what I could do to make my living is some sort of like working in the kitchen or working as a waiter or like you, you, in some sort of restaurant, you know? And um, for me as cooking and being in the kitchen and preparing meals and, and all this, what is involved to make it nice was very fascinating. It was pretty obvious that this is gonna be my first job to do my own living. Okay, all right. And um, one of my, like sort of favorite experiences like weekend experiences with my brothers is uh, a trip that we went on with our uncle to um, Rosenheim so they have this Herbstfest which yeah. is basically like this autumn festival it's basically like the the, the beer festival but much much smaller um, but it was brilliant uh, fantastic uh, experience wonderful atmosphere really friendly people um, I mean was this so I guess when you were there as a chef and this, this Herbstfest sort of took place, it must have like uh, been fantastic for you as well at the time to experience, no? Yeah, and especially as um, there's like a thing which actually you got to understand, I was a bit of a, you could say I was a, probably a bit of a weirdo back in the days in Bavaria because first of all, I grew up the first part of my life in Berlin 
So I was not really a local, which uh, makes the Bavarians a bit more like closed, you could say. They're a bit more conservative. Everybody grew up to each other and uh, they have been in the same kindergarten, in the same school. And then there's this new face called Benjamin and he has a funny accent. He's of the North Germany. So who is this guy? And um, I could say until I left home, I wasn't really a guy who had like a lot of friends you could say you know like i had two or three friends and and um when i left home it was the first time of my life where i actually found people who had the same mindset or like who were very similar to me and being in this restaurant and being a chef and having this fascination for good nutrition good food well prepared good drinks like um, living this some sort of culture um, led me to a very like you could say um, a good good peer group you could say that like and, and the, the funny thing about that is uh, especially in Rosenheim as it's kind of like a it's a big city but in the same time it's also some sort of a small village we had always a certain department at this Herbstfest which uh, belonged to all the restaurant owners and the restaurant owners had like their certain tables and so you would every time every year meet the same people from the same industry and everybody shares this fascination about um, gastronomy and about good food and yeah as i said good drinks and there's some sort of culture to it so what i would say is that i haven't been a regular guest on the Herbstfest just getting wasted and (laughs) trying to drink as much beer as I could. It was more of like a social event to me. And I really loved that. That was really nice for me. Yeah, and uh, Rosenheim. I mean, it's it's not it's, it's not the biggest place in the world, but it's not exactly a village either. It's it's, it's a good sized town, I'd say. Um, but yeah, really friendly, really um, really welcoming, um, and uh, a good experience. So if anybody is ever in uh, Rosenheim yeah, ar- around the time, visit. yeah, yeah, yes, for yeah, sure. Go to that festival as well because it's well after Corona, of course, it's really worth it. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so how long were you like a chef for? Because you obviously learned quite a bit. I mean, when we had food at your place uh, a couple of weeks ago, that was really nice, Benny. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think um, what what the the time as a chef taught me, and uh, what I actually always had in my heart, or like what I'm always having when I'm shooting or whatever whatever I'm doing, it's um, really the, the difference in everything you do is putting some love in it, some, some, some sort of love to the details. And therefore, I would even say that in the end, I became a chef to make my living because this was my only chance. But in the end, it makes a lot of sense to me now as I'm thinking about these memories, because it's actually pretty much the same. Sometimes I'm really saying to producers, to my clients, that being a chef and being a photographer in the end is not so different. It's actually quite similar because first of all, you do something with your hands and it really matters on how much love you put inside what you're doing. I mean, we all know that we sometimes are stressed that we are like on, on a short notice, we don't have so much time or whatever, but in the end, everybody is in the same position. And I see a lot of people let's say who just do their job and what I learned becoming a chef and then later a photographer that in the end it's always up to yourself it's about what you invest and what you do and if you have 
the effort and 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 also the interest in making it nice it automatically becomes nice i could mm. say that and um, uh, by the way just to come back to this rosenheim thing i really gotta say rosenheim is a city which is actually quite open i i totally agree on this and it's a magical place because in the end you could say this is a little city most people don't even know but on the on the on the actual fact um rosenheim is um the place where one of my favorite fashion companies is based which is mark opolo and uh werner Böck, uh, was moving back in the days to sweden to meet another guy to actually found his company and he decided to make his hometown his actual headquarter of marco polo which is a high fashion company which is like all over the world well known you know yeah. so um, I think to this place, there's some some, some sort of magic. Mm. Well, I mean, Rosenheim, if you think about it, what means the, the, the house of roses or the home yeah. of roses. So, uh, you know, clearly there is, uh, uh, you know, passion and, uh, and love uh, reverberating around the place. Um, and I can confirm that myself. Um, all right, cool. And then, so, so how long were you a chef for? And how long did that kind of uh, keep you before your before the pull of photography took you out of the kitchen? <laughs> yeah, that's actually kind of like a funny story. Um, so you got to understand, I was working in a Spanish restaurant for four four and a half years, I guess. And I also got another offer from a Bavarian restaurant, um, which I didn't really like. So I turned that down. And at some point, I remember my, my, my boss uh, coming to the kitchen. I was, it was a very crazy evening. You got you to gotta see that it was a very tiny kitchen. But in the end, it was a well-known restaurant. Everybody knows in Rosenheim this restaurant. It's quite famous. And I was really in a hurry. I was... You could say like I was fully sweaty and there was 60, 60 meals to still be prepared for like a large group of people. And my boss was entering the kitchen at some point and said, hey, Benjamin, I got to talk to you. And I was, yeah, I was saying, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm so I'm so busy right now. Can we like postpone this? And he's like, no, it's a thought I have to share with you right now. And he came up. I remember very clearly we had a we had a fridge in the section like backstage where like the staff could like take some drinks and he opened himself a beer and I saw in his eyes that he's super serious and that that he's on a mission and um, he was starting to speak about a restaurant he wanted to open in Hamburg and um, he he yeah was literally interrupting me in my work and uh, I said so so what's the big deal and he's like, dude, I, I'm opening a restaurant in Hamburg and I want you to be the main chef in this kitchen. I want to open the restaurant with you. And I, would, I was feeling very blessed. I was, of course, very grateful for this offer. And I still remember this day very clearly because it was the first time in my life that also somebody gave approval to what I'm doing and, and that people are satisfied with this and that they want something from me, that they want me on request. So in the end, um, I remember this a very, yeah, very positive memory. And my answer to him was, um, I'm, I'm sorry, but I think I got to, I got to think about this like one night, I got to sleep about this. I'm going to see how I feel tomorrow about your offer. And I remember 
that I woke up the next morning knowing 100% that I'm not going to be a chef in the rest of my life. And the reason was actually mostly that I said, okay, I'm very good as a chef and people love my food and I love what I'm doing. And I also loved the, the importance of details and the importance of how much effort you put in all what you're doing. But in the end, I realized I'm going to end up in an industry which is mostly functioning at night. And that was something which clearly wasn't my path for me. Okay. All right. And so that's, that's, uh, that realization sort of led you towards uh, pursuing uh, another passion. So, but I mean, it's okay. For, you know so much better than I do, um, Elena, as well, of course. Um, you know, taking tentative steps uh, towards professional photography, um, it's quite tough, isn't it? I mean, as a, you know, looking at it, you're trying to scratch the surface at the beginning. I mean, how did you first enter that particular market? Yeah, that's, that's, that's indeed, it's, it's very rough and it's actually rough until this day and it's never going to like change so much, I guess, because photography is also a very hip thing to do. So even if you didn't study it or even if you, um, I don't know, if you just decided from one day to the other, I'm going to shoot on my iPhone, there's a lot of people doing this right now. So the concurrence is like really high. Um, I actually was kind of old fashioned um, back in the days, how I thought I would enter the community and how I entered the industry. And this was for me studying it properly on a high school, like, like going to university and actually um, having all the proper information and studying it and then see how it goes. And I was applying to a lot of universities and you could say like 90% of the universities uh, turned me down because my portfolio, what I did was not good enough. I mean, I was really shooting on a very, you, know, you could say shitty camera and also my taste or the way I was shooting was not really enough, you could say. So, and then at some point, the University of Applied Scientists in, in, in Munich was uh, accepting me and this was my chance and I, and I, and I did take it. But I took it for the actual next year and went one year to art school because I'm still, until this very day, a huge fan of achieving your goals with a different perspective. So I kind of thought if I'm just going to study photography and if I'm just going to go this way of being in a university, having all these lectures, having these professors, and they're going to teach you how to actually properly take a picture or what, what might be interesting in, some, in, in terms of light, in terms of perspective, who's your model, what are you even capturing, um, are you more a fashion photographer, are you more in documentary, whatever. I kind of thought it's a bit of a narrow angle on what you're doing. So I actually attended art school for one year before I um, kept on studying or like, like started studying, yeah. Okay, and, and the, the art school intention was to give you an, a more artistic uh, perspective of something in particular. I mean, were, were you searching for something? Were you searching for, for your own taste, was it perhaps? Or, or, or were you trying to perfect a certain style? 
Mm, yeah, that's a huge thought. Um, I mean, I, I would still like have to think about it a little bit how to actually explain what I mean, but I try to put it down into the words. Um, I'm finding myself in an industry where you actually get requested for the the talent you have to capture a certain moment, to capture a certain idea of a client, of an agency, of a production company. Everybody has a mood board prepared and it's pretty much obvious what you got to do. But to give it your own handwriting or something that's, that makes the, the picture special, you got to step one step back, actually. And that's what I think what I did back in the days. I was entering the art school with no proper goal. I didn't aim anything. It wasn't like that I thought, okay, I must be a painter before I start uh, shooting. It was more... For me, it is important to understand that a photographer also just uses a tool to actually capture something. And if you break it down like this, then it's it's a pretty easy thing to do. It's not it's not super complicated, especially nowadays, as we mostly shoot in digital. Um, it's not so much of handwork anymore that you really have to know what you're doing on film and how to develop it later. It used to be like this, and this is how I learned it in university. But nowadays, it's literally more about the moment. So what I'm thinking, it's always separating a photographer from any other photographer, um, how you prepare yourself. And I'm a huge fan to actually swap the sides or like like change the perspective and do actually something really different. And just closing this case or coming back to where I actually came from, this is what I experienced during when, I, when, I'm, when I'm cooking in the kitchen. Because in the end, it is pretty much the same thing. It's like you have different ingredients and the more qualitative your ingredients are, the better the result is. But also, if you don't really have something, we all know the situation, you're opening your fridge and you don't really have so much left, which which make makes like a nice like nice dinner or something. But I think it's the creative process of dealing with what you have, and this is something what I learned in art school that it's not about having the best production company, the best cast, the best circumstances, the best light, the best whatever you you know. Like I I'm always saying I can do the same image on a disposable camera than on the most expensive camera, which is on the market right now. And that's not because there's a technical difference. It's because actually, I think you have you got to always make the best out of the situation. And this is what you don't learn in a university when you study photography. You learn it in art school when people are like, OK, you can't afford the colors. You can't afford the pencils. You, do, you can't afford the paper. Make another plan. And that's what I say is making the differences in photography. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, I, I'm quite, um, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say lyrical person, but you know, I, I see the world through words. Um, and uh, this, is, this is how I sort of came into the, uh, the creative element, um, as it were, or at least into my creative element. It's through writing, it's through, but firstly, reading and understanding how other people used to put words together with what combinations uh, to, to describe the, the world as they saw it. Um, and, you know, for you, clearly, it's, it's visual. Um, 
you know, but when you, for example, if you walk into a room and you spot a certain scene, and I mean, I mean it's the atmosphere in the room, the, you know, the, the smoke, perhaps the music, the, the people, uh, the lighting, the colors. Um, do you see a picture within the world uh, as you walk in? Or, or do you first try to describe it? I mean, what is that process of capturing the moment? How do you first identify that moment? What is it that hits you? Yeah, I think there's very, yeah, there's very different ways of, of, of seeing photography in general. And I would say, of course, I have these moments when I'm, especially when I'm meeting new people or I'm, I'm going to different places or whatever, I'm seeing a flat for the first time, I'm seeing a certain street for the first time, um, I'm on the other side of the planet and seeing a street in 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 like like a very like late light of the late afternoon touched and i see all the shadows and whatever then i sometimes think wow it would be no so nice to like capture this right now and either i have a camera on me or not but i'm still having this image in my brain like even if i don't have a camera i'm still capturing it somehow in my memories and i will always think of that i have so many memories of, of interesting places I've been, but I would say I'm more a photographer who is actually wanting to, to get the best out of the situation when it comes to arranging even like, you know, this is the thing that I'm not, I'm not identifying myself as like somebody who's just entering whatever scene you have in your mind and just making a document out of it, like, like a proof of time or like a proof of that has been there. I'm even more interested in to like arrange things to make it even more beautiful. So that's why I also somehow ended up doing fashion photography, even if it's like very certain what I do. But um, I think for me, it's more, yeah, it's more like, like, you know, there's a thing that people say back in the days, photography meant painting with light. And I can relate to this very much because I actually think I'm more of somebody who's arranging different things to each other. Like if it's a room, if it's a, if, if it's the cast, if it's the fashion, if it's some artwork in the back, whatever, even if it's the light, I mean, I'm literally shaping light. I'm mostly not using natural light. So that means, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not so much a person who is actually just capturing the moment. I'm more a person who, who arranges. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've seen you in, in something. I've seen you in something of your element when uh, I came to the studio about two or three years ago, um, and you, you were simply running around getting things prepared. I think for other people, but it was the element. It was the um, the sort of adventure of something that is to come, um, and, and to see you in that work mode, um, it was quite interesting um, because it's very different to the relaxed guy that you sit down with and have a chat with, and so on. Um, what, what was your first sort of big job you'd say in, in photography? <laughs> I, <laughs> that's always, that's the point about photographers that would always name a certain brand or they would always name a certain job, but actually as you're constantly improving your work, I would say the, the, the biggest job is always ahead. It's never mm -hmm. something you did already. It's, it's always ahead. But um, I wanted to say actually something what you just mentioned, um, the experience seeing me in a studio. 
I think that's 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 even more important than just naming a client. I mean, I had some eco-friendly clients because I believe in eco-fashion and I don't like fast fashion. But um, what you just said about the studio and seeing me, how I work, it's actually very, it's, it's very good to tell people who might not be familiar with the industry because what are we doing? We actually, we actually always, yeah, kind of like picture the photographer as the big genius guy who is full of ideas and always um, has this amazing creative drive. And in the end, there is a picture we can all admire or something. And that's something I'm completely against. And um, I have to say, I'm just as strong as everybody in my team or like, like I'm just the, the image in the end, the, 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 what, what we see as somebody who is working through a gallery or flipping a magazine or seeing even some simple adverts or whatever, um, pictures the photographer as the genius guy who has uh, the creative idea and just he's just doing whatever. But that's not how I picture myself. And I got to say, uh, even if the set designer has a bad day, um, the, the picture is going to turn shit. And um, this is the same for the cast. I mean, I, I don't want to swap with models. They're mostly flying in and flying out on the same day. They're over, over, over tired. They're, they need to do their job, even if they just came down from San Francisco or whatever. And um, they're still performing quite professional, which I have so much respect for. And this is the same to every department. So what you experienced in the studio is actually me trying to comfort everybody and uh, to see what is necessary, what everybody needs, because I understand in the end, whatever picture we create, it's some sort of a group project. It's not me being outstanding from the rest. It's more what everybody puts into this project. Mm, okay. Um, and yet, so if I should rephrase the question I asked earlier, because I, I'm not looking for brands and I'm not looking for the biggest job that you've ever done. What I want to know is the the first job which you took as, which kind of made you say, yes, I have a career in photography. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm finally doing what I want to do. That, that first job, what kind of work did it involve? Um, and how, how did you go about it? What was your preparation for it? Um, and has that preparation you know, evolved quite a bit since then as well. Yeah, actually, that's very interesting because this kind of job, uh, my first thought is um, this, this kind of job has been uh, taking place very recently because you got to understand, I started photography like around, I would say, 10 years ago and um, I became yeah more and more famous, became more and more booked and people got my name on their record and, and they saw my references and they wanted me to shoot for them. And I did quite some work. I mean, again, I was living eight seasons in Cape Town and I saw a lot of commercial work and I also, yeah, I was working for clients I'm not really proud of, I have to say. But if you say, what was really my first big job? I would take it like this that the job I was really standing fully behind was actually happening this season, um, autumn and winter, when I started to fully um, say no to any commercial client, which is not producing sustainable. 
And um, the background story is that, to that is very easy. I have an assistant which is already with me for four years. And he's a, he's a very loyal guy. And at some point we've been on a commercial job. I think this is like two summers ago. We've been in a crazy villa in West End in Berlin and it was very rich people and the product was really shitty and the client was very rude and disrespectful. And um, I remember this very clearly. We both looked at each other and we were like, I don't really want to do this anymore. And the money was good. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's not even, you know, like if I would do this job every month, I would be a rich man. But um, we had this moment. We, we both looked at each other and we said, no, we, we don't want to be part of this, of, this, of this industry, of this like just, yeah, having the biggest sale on a product, which we actually don't really believe in. And um, this season, this was the, the last season, as I'm saying, from, from summer to autumn and then winter, autumn winter was the first time in my life as a photographer when I literally said no to almost every client which requested me except the people who could prove that they're working sustainable and especially in the fashion industry it's a very very important thing to do I guess I wish more people would do it and I think it's a very slow movement and in the end we all gonna yeah, agree that this is the only way, but fashion industry is something which is eating up so many resources in a very bad way. And also the advertisement actually teaches people to consume more and more and more for a cheaper price. And this is something I'm not standing behind anymore. So you could say the biggest job for me, which made a huge difference in my career was actually happening uh, this season. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I obviously wanted to get on to the uh, sort of sustainable mission um, that you are, you have embraced, you know, fundamentally, um, and, and at perhaps a bit of a risk as well to yourself, by, as you said, turning away work at this particular time. Um, yeah, that, that takes a lot of courage and, and conviction. Um, where did the, how did this develop? Because obviously you are concerned about the environment and the world as you see it. And being a visual person, you, you, you would notice certain things in a very particular way. Um, what is it in particular? Uh, you think that, for example, the, the photography industry and photographers such as yourself uh, can really do to, to promote sustainability? I mean, you got to understand that in the end... Um the the biggest problem is that we create a picture for a vision which is in the end a very commercial vision we're talking about huge brands in the world i mean i don't even have to name them everybody knows them because everybody is buying their clothes and these clothes are first of all in a very bad quality and in the end uh, we we keep buying them because one of the photographers of this industry is probably creating an image which is saying or telling us to, to buy even more. And if you see how the world is, is, is working right now and that we're actually running out of resources, I think it's everybody's responsibility to take a side. And yeah, of course, I, I'm, I'm fully agreeing to you. I also look into the mirror and think it takes courage and it's, it's, not, it's not the easy way. And I have way less jobs than I used to have. 
but at least I know whenever I created the image, it's for the better good. And um, you, you, I would say everybody has this responsibility. And I, I'm talking a lot about set stylists. I'm, I'm, I'm talking a lot about stylists who prepare the shootings. And uh, I'm, I'm talking about people who are assisting. And, and even there, we are wasting so many resources when we're not even talking about the actual product. So we should definitely turn, turn away from that. We can't afford it anymore. It's the, our planet is dying. And I think if I would still continue my work, and even if I probably became rich with this or would become rich with this, I could never look into my into my into my into my mirror again. Yeah. I mean, you as you said, you spent eight seasons in, in Cape Town, um, albeit on your commercial uh, photography. Um, but eight seasons means you enjoyed going back there um, a, a, as a cultural experience, um, as a lifetime experience. Uh, how um, how did how close did you become with Cape Town, with South Africa? Oh, a lot. I, I have still a lot of friends there. And I would say um, the fact that you're just coming back and forth and people also love to come to Europe uh, while it's actually our summer uh, made some sort of like a family um, to, to which, which is always on my side. But I left Cape Town pretty much of the same reason why I'm not willing to do this commercial work anymore, which I used to do, because Cape Town is actually the biggest teacher you could have um, in terms of you, you, you talked about uh, culture. I mean, let's be honest, what is a white dude as I am? I'm, I'm, I'm born and raised in Berlin. I'm a white dude and I'm going uh, to Cape Town every season to, to live an amazing life and to, uh, to be in bars and restaurants and I'm shooting commercial work. I'm getting well paid for this. And actually, if you just yeah, across the street, you see so much poverty and you're surrounded by townships. And I think one of my biggest impacts, what I saw in my life, um, which made me change a lot, was that there's a very certain rule. I mean, you could say every runner on the production, every driver, everybody who is a lighting assistant of another lighting assistant, um, stuff is very cheap there. So even a lighting assistant has another assistant. Um, they have been they have been all locals, and they all all have been from the townships. So what I mean by that is, um, I saw eight seasons in a row that people from Germany, also from England, from France, um, are going there some sort of to enjoy summer because it's winter in Europe. And then, by the way, we can also shoot our most recent content we need. And in the end, we even have a good life because the euro is so strong across against the South African currency. So I would say the biggest advantage to sum it up is that I had South African friends who were local, who were living in the township and also white people who had actually been the, the daughter or the son of a family who just came in the 40s and 50s. So you know what that means, right? So that's white money in a country which is not even belonging to them. That's like colonialism. And 
in the end uh, that's a that's a huge gap and i'm very grateful for experiences this but i gotta say i don't really feel like repeating it okay so you probably won't return to south africa anytime soon i guess no i can't the problem is once you once you realize what you're doing there it would be a bit yeah it would be lying to my to myself it would be yeah i mean i can i can put it down like this i'm i'm a white dude i'm from germany i have some sort of i have some sort of talent i can go down there i probably find a client who likes to book me because i'm on stay i'm mostly spent like five to six months during the winter there and i always was busy i didn't even have to apply to jobs they were just coming up and then in the end i have to look into the mirror and say I'm the only white person on set except the client visits to South Africa because they want to have some sort of adventure. And if I'm looking around, everybody who is actually really hardworking is a colored person. And this person is probably living, living in a township and suffering from poverty and suffering from the fact that whatever salary they make a day is probably feeding a whole family. And to be honest, I don't want to support that. I don't want to be. I don't want to be the guy who's just showing up. And and people have an attitude. Zach, I have to say, Cape Town is a very, 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 very strange place. Sometimes it's a paradise, but it's also very strange. Okay. All right. So you mean the the, the people that turn up have an attitude against people of color? Is that is that what you mean? Yeah, and also some sort of arrogance, you know, I mean, the, the problem is we can't change history, right? So we cannot change that uh, what, whatever our last generation did and how colonialism was happening and, and, and getting all the resources, especially in winery. Winery is like a huge thing there, like wine estates and everything. But you can definitely make a difference to, do, to not take advantage of these people, you know, um, I mean, to be honest, when you when you compare the salary which you have as a local, and then I experienced this because in the first month when I had been in the first season in Cape Town, I was getting the salary what a local gets, and this was compared to the European salary a joke. So what I have to say is I'm not willing to be part of an industry which is taking advantage of the people who are actually home there. Mm. Okay, yeah, fair enough. And obviously that ties in with the, the sustainability element of things as well. And also, you know, fair pay, as it were, for fair work, which is also one of the um, global sustainability goals. So, Yeah, that's the point, you know, this is exactly the, the, the important point that everybody out there understands what I mean. If a local person would get the salary what they actually deserve, or let's say with the salary which the production company or the client even has on hold, it's it's not that they don't have the money, they have it 100%, but they're saving money on the local stuff to actually put it in their own pockets. And that's something I don't want to support. If the local guy from a township gets the, 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 the proper rate, what he deserves, then I would be fully on it and would say, cool, the industry is something which is even making the people having a better living or like, yeah, being financing a whole family or whatever, then I would be on it and I would say, yeah, great, that is a great op opportunity. But I see people taking the money to put it in their own pockets and that's unfair and that's what I don't want to support. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, as you say, I mean, if it's not colonialism, it's definitely still uh, exploitation. 
um, and um, yeah, uh, I, I can understand. Knowing you, uh, I completely understand how uncomfortable that must always make you feel. Um, all right, and um, yeah, just uh, one more question then, um, Benny, because I, I know you've got to get back to uh, all of the work that you've got on. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I will grab you on again uh, this show so we could sort of delve deeper into other topics too. But um, in the immediate future, once you've sorted out your flat and everything, um, you, what are your next steps then uh, with regards to your, your sustainability push uh, and your mission? Yeah, what I understand is that a photographer who has a responsibility, and I see myself as somebody who has this responsibility to also um, take part in what images are we showing and what are we actually yeah, giving the people um, as, as some sort of like a political message as I'm trying to now just uh, support and shoot for people who produce uh, sustainable means that I have to improve my, let's say my outcome, my, 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 my actually salary, what I'm earning with other steps. So what I'm doing right now is I'm renovating my flat and um, I used to be a studio manager and I'm also having an offer for another studio, which I could manage. So what I understand for myself is um, even if I do have less jobs, which are probably not that well paid because the sustainable fashion industry is something coming up. It's not something which is already super developed. So these clients don't have the proper salaries, which I'm used to. I understand that I have to sacrifice this and say, if I really believe in that, then I make my living some sort of like on, on, on different missions. So what I'm doing right now is I'm preparing myself to actually get some sort of an income through renting out my flat for productions. I'm still managing studios to have some sort of like a side income to be fully on this path that whatever whenever I'm I'm taking my camera in my hand and I'm doing a commercial job it's for the better it's like for a company I believe in and who can have even the proof of where they get their wool from where they get their cotton from how it's produced how it's sued where it's sued and uh, to be to be fully on this mission i understand that i have to to get some sort of like side income that's what i'm doing right now and uh, it's going to take a while but i actually believe as we all know and especially in times of Instagram and in times of like this very, very fast world where we saw, see so much content that it's going to take not so much time to actually have the situation that even if you're shooting for a sustainable brand that you get your proper salary because this is a branch which is expanding right now and all the conservative labels and how they've been shooting the last years and they will see and probably not even because they have so high moral standards, but because you always got to make a difference, you got to have something new, like some sort of like a magic trick. Um, I think the world is anyway, yeah, moving to a sustainable world. I rather sacrifice um, lower salary for a um, brand I really believe in. And I also have to say it's, uh, it's a world where people really have to give you certificates they have to like prove themselves that they're really sustainable it's not like a thing that it's so it's so obvious some people really pretend to do the, the better and they don't 
but I, I'm still the guy who sees his own responsibility and, and see that I actually, I'm willing to sacrifice a lower, lower salary for the actual day rate or whatever I'm getting and make my living with something else like renting out my flat for productions or like running a studio or whatever it might need um, until we are living in a world where a photographer gets a fair salary for actually a fair company. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I hope that uh, that development uh, occurs as quickly as possible because, you know, quite clearly it's necessary. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, look, Benny, there are many things I'd like to talk with you about. Um, you know, one of the one, one of my main topics um, you've already touched on, which is, uh, well, OK, climate change, but you've approached it from the sustainability element and the, the lack of resources. Um, so it's a very similar argument. Um, I, I also prioritize um, uh, gender equality um, and um, you know, racial equality as well as, as topics which are, are very important to me. And, and so you also talked about racial equality. I, I'm pretty sure you've experienced elements um, which brings into question gender too in, in the course of your career as a photographer. Um, and I'm pretty sure that um, there'll be lots of these things to to talk about on our next occasion in 2022. Um, yeah. yeah, Benny, what can I say, man? I mean, there's always so, so many interesting things to talk about with you, um, but I know that uh, your time is limited as well. Um, yeah, what are you going to do for New Year's, by the way? Have you got any plans? <laughs> I'm probably going to see finally my mom and visiting her back in Bavaria and as I hope we can go to Italy to celebrate her birthday because my mom is a New Year's child so mm -hmm. her birthday is on the 31st and uh, I hope this year I can celebrate it with her because last year I couldn't because we were living in a lockdown um, but yeah I think my year goes to an end in really writing down some goals and writing down what I actually want and what I want to improve because as I said earlier already um, I really have to find the sort of client which is not doing a sustainable shooting or producing sustainable clothes or like like trying to prove themselves that they're like eco-friendly or whatever just because it's cool that's that's a really big problem i really want to make a year's plan for next year to find the people who actually mean what they say and who actually are willing to do better for the planet and not just because it's a new hype on instagram no yeah well um, I, um, yeah i would love to also um assist anywhere that i can in that um and um, yeah dude i'd love to <laughs> i'd love to have you on set yeah man yeah let's get let's get something hooked up you know um it's always fun as well so um fun in a good cause i don't think we can beat that um yeah benny what can i say man thank you very much it's um yeah it's always great having a chat it's always great meeting up so um i hope we can do that soon maybe uh, at frankie's as well sometime in 2022 that would be really nice yeah um yeah man thanks a lot all the best to you thank you very much for your time and i love talking to you soon again Two and a mic. Thank you.